0: Welcome to SCOTUScast, a project of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Our contributors join us from around the country to bring you expert commentary on U.S. Supreme Court cases as they are argued and decisions are issued. The Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker.
1: Hello and welcome to SCOTUScast. I'm your host, Justin Drower, on behalf of the Faculty Division of the Federalist Society. We're here today to discuss Wilkins v. United States, which was argued before the court on November 30th. And we're joined once again by Professor Ilya Soman, who is a professor of law at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. His research focuses on constitutional law, property law, democratic theory, federalism and migration rights. So, uh, Professor Soman, uh, thank you for joining us once again. And uh, would you like to start off by talking about the background of this case and, uh, and why listeners should uh, should care about it?
2: Sure. Uh, so I have to start with a disclaimer. Uh, the, this case is being litigated on behalf of the plaintiffs by the Pacific Legal Foundation, which is a libertarian-leaning public interest law firm. That does property rights issues, among other things. It is also my wife's employer. My wife is not one of the lawyers in this particular case. She doesn't have a stake in it. Uh, However, nonetheless, uh, listeners should know about this particular if there are members of the media uh, who are covering this. I don't want people to think I'm somehow hiding this possible uh, conflict. Uh, so, with that said, this is a somewhat technical case, indeed, a highly technical case, but it does have important implications if not for the nation as a whole, then for landowners, particularly in Western and mountain states, where uh, there's a lot of people whose property abuts the vast sweeping territory that the federal government owns in these areas. Uh, We who live in the East or West Coast, as I do, uh, this is not so big an issue for us. Like there's not much federal property where I live except for a few military bases here and there. Uh, However, if you live Uh, like these people do in Montana or in states like Utah or Idaho, interactions between federal property and private property are ubiquitous. Uh, And in this case, uh, as in many others, the federal government had an easement over private land to uh, allow some transportation through it. In the early 1960s, when these two Montana landowners' property first became subject to the easement, the understanding was that it would be used for purposes of harvesting timber on federal lands so the people who were harvesting the timber could go back and forth but it was the understanding that this wouldn't be like a general public access road gradually over time and i'm sort of oversimplifying here some complex facts uh years later uh the us forest service opened up this access to the general public with the result that there was much more traffic uh, and the landowner's uh, use of their own property was significantly disturbed. And in some cases, there was very annoying noise and some damage uh, and the like. And the two property owners represented by the Pacific Legal Foundation, as I mentioned earlier, they filed a lawsuit under the Quiet Title Act. Which is a piece of federal legislation, uh, which allows landowners to file claims, uh, you know, disputing these sorts of issues where the federal government, uh, you know, infringes on their land in various ways, and it's often used in these sorts of disputes where uh, there's private land abutting federal land, and uh, there's an issue of you know who has uh, which rights. However, the Quiet Title Act sets a 12-year time limit on the filing of claims since their accrual uh, and uh, the the action was filed more than 12 years, arguably after the Forest Service first seemingly made it clear that uh, they were going to use the easement in this much broader way uh, than it had been used before. Uh, And the question here is not even by itself whether the Quiet Title Act bars this particular set of claims or not, uh, but rather whether the bar uh, is a jurisdictional bar, i.e. If, if it's past 12 years, then courts just simply don't have jurisdiction over these claims at all, uh, or whether it is merely, quote, a claim processing constraint. If it's a claim processing constraints, then there might be some equitable exceptions to the 12-year bar, or at least the plaintiffs argue that those exceptions can, uh, can apply. Uh, and the in the lower court, the Ninth circuit said that this is jurisdictional, so the plaintiffs are completely uh, out of luck, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what the specific circumstance of the case are, it doesn't matter whether there might be some equitable exceptions or other uh, possible constraints on the 12-year limit, uh, you know, it just gets thrown out. Uh, however, the Supreme Court granted cert on this specific procedural issue, uh, of whether this is jurisdictional or whether it's claim processing, uh, and you might think this is a very arcane technical issue, and I admit it is. I myself was not very familiar with this set of issues until I actually read up on this case uh, at the request of the Federal Society, which asked me to comment on it, and uh, so Uh, While in one sense this is highly technical, there are many thousands of people, particularly mentioned before, in Western states uh, whose property abuts federal land and where various types of easements or other possible rights uh, are held by the federal government and where, therefore, uh, this 12-year limit can potentially constrain their claims, uh, whereas if it's not jurisdictional, they have more opportunity to challenge possible uh, misbehavior by federal officials or the private individuals that the federal officials grant access to, uh, as, as in this case. So this matters significantly to an, you know, a considerable category of people, even though it's hyper-technical. Uh, So uh, if you look at the Quiet Title Act, uh, the Taxi Act just simply says nothing about whether this is jurisdictional or whether it's purely claim processing. So which way you come out on this depends on sort of what is your baseline presumption. Do you assume that it's going to be jurisdictional uh, or do you assume uh, that it's not? Uh, And there are various decisions which seem to assume that quiet Title Act restrictions are jurisdictional. On the other hand, various more recent Supreme Court precedents say that uh, essentially if Congress wants a procedural rule to be jurisdictional, that there has to be a clear statement, clearly indicating it is, otherwise it's just a claim processing rule. So if you apply that line of cases here, then it will turn out that it's a claim processing rule and not jurisdictional. On the other hand, if you imply various precedents, which in passing imply that the Quiet Title Act is uh, jurisdictional, then uh, you get the opposite result. What does the oral argument tell us about which way it's going to go? I think it's actually very difficult to tell, and uh, the justice had tough questions uh, for both sides. If I had to guess, and this is only a very tentative guess, I think there may be more uh, justices who are willing to say that it's uh, not jurisdictional Who want, than who want to say that it is. And I also think that this is the kind of case that the Supreme Court probably would not have granted cert on if they were just going to affirm the lower court. As a general rule, the Supreme Court is more likely to grant cert to overrule than to affirm. So based on that principle, plus a very tentative reading of the oral argument, I think it's more likely than not uh, that the court is going to uh, overturn the Ninth Circuit decision uh, and uh, say that this is claim processing. That doesn't mean that the landowners will necessarily win the case, or even that it won't be barred by the Quiet Title Act, because it would then be remanded below to address the issue of you know whether there's some kind of limitation or exception to the 12-year rule that would apply. Uh, but uh, it would be. Uh, A possibly significant win for landowners in general, at least these Western landowners, even if these particular landowners don't don't ultimately get any kind of remedy, because it would open up the door to more possible except challenges that get around the, you know, the 12 year rule, but I admit this highly technical, it's not easy to tell where the Supreme Court is going to come out on this.
1: So touching more on oral argument, was there anything especially surprising or unusual kind of during the oral argument or anything you'd like to to discuss on that topic?
2: Um, So I think one issue is that this may not be something that splits the justices along ideological lines uh, because it's so highly technical and it's not obviously a liberal or conservative issue. Uh, Another interesting thing is that uh, the court was actually interested in this issue at all, which is a little bit surprising, given the technical nature and given this sort of is not a hot or sexy issue. But uh, I think one possibility is, you know, that they do recognize that uh, this is of significance to Western landowners and some justices, particularly Justice Gorsuch, who is from Colorado, uh, you know, that they, they may have an interest in the issue uh, for that reason. Uh, so, uh, it's not an easy oral argument to read, either in the literal sense because it involves a lot of technical stuff, or in just sort of the uh, the, the you know the reading the, the tea leaves kind of sense and trying to figure out uh, which way the court is going to come out.
1: All right, so uh, thank you, Professor Soman. I know uh, this is. Since it's a technical case, there's there's kind of less to less to cover. So I guess we can have this be a shorter than usual episode. Um, thank you for for covering it and for for looking into it because of uh, Fed Sox invitation. We, we appreciate having you on and uh, look forward to future episodes.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. SCOTUScast is a project of the Federalist Society a not-for-profit educational organization of conservative and libertarian law students, law professors, and lawyers, founded upon the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom, that the separation of governmental powers is central to our Constitution, and that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is, not what it should be. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast series, including SCOTUScast and Practice Group Podcasts. On iTunes or Google Play. For an archive of past podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at fedsoc.org/multimedia. That's f-e-d-s-o-c.org/multimedia. This has been a FedSoc audio production.